book of Ephesians uh, several weeks now, and that is our, um, uh, we're going to be spending the entire uh, summer in the book of Ephesians, and so I hope that it's been encouraging to you so far. I, I pray that it's, uh, it's continued to build your faith up in Christ Jesus, and last week uh, we looked at and spent some time on what Paul calls uh, this dividing wall of hostility, and we talked about how this dividing wall of hostility existed between us and God, uh, primarily that we weren't uh, this, we're not a neutral people. We were uh, by nature children of wrath, enemies of God, and it was an act of God Himself that tore down that dividing wall of hostility through the life, death, and resurrection and the ascension of Christ Jesus, and brought us peace with God. And then because of that, uh, as a result. Uh, we can therefore have peace with one another. And the Apostle Paul talks about um, how Gentiles are equal recipients of this uh, redemptive covenant that the Lord promised uh, from the very beginning. And, uh, and we're going to look at that a little bit more this morning. Uh, we're going to look at the first 13 verses, but really I'm going to spend time in chapter 3 on verses 7 through uh, 13. And... Um, and so what I want to do is read this passage, pray, and then I'm just going to make some observations as time allows, and by God's grace, we will be encouraged in the Lord. And so Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is, is, is in a way, uh, this is, and I'll mention this in a moment, this is a bit of a digression from what he's getting at, which is an eventual prayer for this local church. But chapter 3, starting with verse 1, the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words to the church of Ephesus. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is this, that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I'm the least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring delight for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for allowing us to gather. Thank you for allowing us to open your word, Lord. I ask that you would grant us humility. Lord, grant us uh, wisdom and discernment as we look at your word. And God, um, not be passive readers, Lord, but uh, as James admonishes us, that we would be doers of the word. And so your word should be changing us, God. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Like I said just a moment ago, these, these 13 verses here, they're really a, uh, if you will, a, a type of digression for the Apostle Paul. And if you're familiar with his letters, you know that this, is, uh, this isn't unusual for the Apostle Paul to kind of go off on a digression here. Um, last week, like I said, we spent time talking about how Christ Jesus tore down this dividing wall of hostility between us and God, and then consequently um, between us. And he's brought us peace and has enabled us. Jesus alone has enabled us to walk peacefully, not just with God, but to walk peacefully with each other as well. And, and after savoring that reality in chapters 1 and, and in, um, really in, in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he moves to pray for the church of Ephesus. He moves to pray for this particular church body. And, and we see that, if you were to read verse 14, if you have your Bibles, you can just kind of thumb down to verse 14 there. And we're going to get to this next week, but Paul uses the, the phrase in verse 14, for this reason, which is exactly the phrase that he uses in verse 1 of chapter 3, for this reason. Right? Paul's saying, because God in Christ has brought those who are far off near, and because Christ has one body, the church, made up of, of Jews and made up of Gentiles, and he's going to pray for this local church body. So because God has brought us peace, us between us and God, God's brought us peace in Christ Jesus with each other, verse 14 uh, on signifies a prayer. But, but Paul, uh, it seems that he aims to begin this prayer in verse 1 of chapter 3, but then digresses and spends a few verses talking more about this glorious gospel and, and this role that God has, has graciously given him to play in it. So, so let's look at a few of these verses, and, and we're going to make some observations together. In verse 1 here, okay, for this reason, I, Paul, he goes and calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Okay, the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about the, the background of this letter, he's in prison when he writes this letter to the church of Ephesus. And he could have referred to himself in this section as an apostle. I, Paul, an apostle on behalf of you Gentiles. But he chooses prisoner. And I, and I think this would have carried weight, especially with the Gentile believers. Okay, Paul was suffering, as we'll see, verse 13, he, he uses that language, I'm suffering for you. He's suffering for what he was teaching about Jesus and, and who he was teaching it to. Okay, he was suffering because of what he was teaching about Jesus, all right, that Jesus is God, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that he's, he's, he's co-eternal, he's co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit, okay? Jesus had no beginning date, he always has been, all right? He's, he's being imprisoned for that message, that blasphemous message in the first century uh, church, and he's being in prison for declaring that people from every cultural background, non-Jews, can experience the saving work of Christ. Okay, so he's in prison for declaring who Jesus is, and he's in prison for declaring, um, who, uh, declaring things about Christ to a particular group of people. Okay, he was in prison because of the calling God gave him to, to declare Christ and to declare 
that in Christ, people from every cultural background can have peace with God. And, and Paul, by calling himself a prisoner of Christ, he's making a very bold statement to the church of Ephesus. Paul's saying, in effect, this. By saying he's a prisoner of Christ, he's saying, I'm in prison because Christ wants me to be there. Right? I'm in prison because that's exactly where Christ wants me Right? He's, he's in prison because the Lord has determined that the best way to advance the gospel to Gentile believers is by Paul being in prison at the moment that he pins that letter. So at, at the present moment, Paul could be more effective in declaring the mystery of the gospel that we're going to discuss in just a moment that we really began to discuss last week. The mystery of the gospel, Paul could be more effective in declaring that mystery to Gentiles from prison than in person. So Paul's grateful for the opportunity to be able to do that. Now, if he had an opportunity to gain his freedom, would he gain his freedom? Absolutely. All right, he would have certainly done that. Suffering in and of itself isn't, is, is, is no good. But Paul saw the, the spiritual good that his suffering was doing, and, and thus God allowed the fruit of Paul's ministry to be a means by which he encouraged the Apostle Paul, given his present circumstances at the time this letter was penned. It, it prevented Paul from sulking. It prevented Paul from having a pity party. It actually uh, uh, fueled Paul to continue to minister in the capacity that he was doing. It spurred him on to persevere both in his faith and to persevere in his ministry, to not recant his ministry, because certainly a recantation of his ministry uh, would have gained him freedom. Right? And so Paul, whether free or in chains, he, he, chains, he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And, and so that leads me to, to our first point, if you're taking notes who we are and what we do is by the grace of God. And we're going to see that fleshed out more in verses 7 and 8. But who we are and what we do, and I would even add where we are. Who we are, where we are, what we do is by the grace of God. We're, we are, as Christians, <clears throat> we declare, we acknowledge that we're a dependent people. We're a dependent people, and, and we may confess that, right? But how does that animate our lives on a, on a daily, uh, if we were to, to look at just our daily lives? How does that animate us, us being a dependent people upon the Lord? Right? Is, is the reality of that truth present in our walk? Right? Is, it, is it present with us even as we gather here this morning that to be a Christian is to confess that we're a dependent people? Paul says in verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 3 here, he says, Of this gospel, okay, this gospel he's declaring that's both for Jew and for Gentile, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power, not, Paul, not Paul's power. And he says, To me, though, I'm the least of all the saints. And we know elsewhere, right before the apostle Paul was executed, he penned a letter to to his protege Timothy, and he called himself what? The chief of sinners, right? The worst sinner that's ever lived. We've talked about that before. And so we know that Paul has this perspective on himself. He's the least of all the saints. And, and I think the Apostle Paul would have even mentioned that because his reputation preceded him, right? The church of Ephesus would have been well aware that the Apostle Paul uh, persecuted Christians prior to his conversion, right? And so his sins, his past sins are very present with him. Uh, and he says, man, this, this worst of sinners 
is allowed to preach to the Gentiles, verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Paul was the least of all saints, but a saint because of God's grace. Paul preached to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, which if, if you want to see him use that language again, jot a note down Romans 11. You can read that this afternoon where he uses that language, unsearchable riches again. But Paul, Paul preached to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ by God's grace. And then Paul preached in a way that Gentile believers could understand the gospel by God's grace. Right Later in this book, when we get to chapter 6 in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul commends the church of Ephesus in the midst of spiritual warfare. He tells them, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Not the strength of your might, not the strength of my might. We're to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. We are a dependent people. Paul here is boasting. This digression is all about boasting in this uh, the amount of grace that the Lord has bestowed on his people. And that's really the, the underpinning of this section and the reality of the, the, uh, the, that the gospel is for all types of people. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Right? It's by God's grace that Paul was saved out of his murderous persecution of Christians. It's by God's grace that the Lord commissioned him to preach. It's by God's grace that he can suffer well for the cause of Christ, keeping an eternal perspective. And and it's by God's grace that you would be saved. It's by God's grace that I would be saved and then be called by God to proclaim as we the 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 this grace as we go throughout our lives, right? It's it's by God's grace we've been saved. It's by God's grace we've been given a job called the Great Commission. It's by God's grace that that we continue to walk in faith. It's by God's grace that we'll persevere in the faith. It's all by God's grace. It's all by God's grace. Right? Who we are, where we are, what we do is by the grace of God. Everything is absolutely dependent on the Lord. Everything is absolutely dependent upon the Lord. And God distributes common grace, which I won't get into here, but this grace that he distributes to all of his creation, they don't even realize it, maybe. And God certainly distributes salvific grace to Christians, the fact that we're able to to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and to have our hearts regenerated is an act of grace solely based on God's good and unchanging character. And so as Christians, we need to to fight, we need to effort to maintain this mindfulness of of our utter dependence on our triune God. Paul elsewhere, he he declared to the, the philosophers in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, that it's in the Lord that we live and move and have our being. Every person ever created is in this state. But as Christians, we confess that reality. Right? It's true for absolutely everyone, but we as Christians acknowledge and confess and, and should live with a mindfulness of our dependence upon the Lord. We're, we're not an independent people. Right? 
We like to think of ourselves as that as Americans, don't we? But we're not an independent people. We're not an autonomous people. We're not a self-made people. We're not a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstrap type of people. We're a dependent people. To be a Christian is to be a dependent people. Who we are, where we are, what we do is by the grace of God. Secondly, you're taking notes. The mystery hidden for ages is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs of God's promise. Right? So verses 9 and 11. The mystery hidden for ages is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs of God's promise. And again, we spent most of our time on this last week, so I don't want to belabor the point. Um, but look at verses 9 through 11. Paul says, And to bring to light, all right, this is a part of his, his ministry here, and to bring to light for everyone... What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, Paul is saying these two people groups, okay, Jews and non-Jews, are in Christ are one people. Right? Christ has one body. Again, we, we talked about that and we worked through that some last week. But Christ has one body and what the scripture refers to as the true Israel. Christ's one body, the true Israel that's made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. People from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And this true Israel is God's people because, God, because Christ kept perfectly God's law. And we as fallen Covenant breakers receive the benefits of Christ's obedience. I'm going to say that again. This true Israel is God's people because Christ kept perfectly God's law, and we as fallen covenant breakers receive the benefits of Christ's obedience. Okay, that law that the Israelites in the Old Testament couldn't keep, that law of God that's written on the heart of Gentiles that, that, that we're unable to keep, Christ himself kept perfectly and fully, and therefore we are recipients, both Jews and Gentiles, of this grace, this salvation that Christ Jesus alone accomplished. As if we earned it, as if we deserve it and we don't, but we get it, we get it. And in regards to the far-reaching nature of the gospel, that, that it, it can save the worst of sinners and that it can save people from every people group. Last week I, I talked about how there will not be a people group not represented in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? It's going to be a, a, a very diverse eternity as one body in Christ Jesus. But in regards to the far, far-reaching nature of the gospel, the church, according to the Apostle Paul, is the announcement to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The church is the announcement to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Verse 10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Right? Interestingly enough, the Greek word for manifold here means of differing colors. Of differing colors. The church of God is colorful. And her testimony and, 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 and the, her, her colorfulness, her diversity 
is a testimony to the, the hidden rulers and authorities who the Apostle Paul brings up later in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, when he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Get this. This is really good stuff, okay? The, the church is by her very nature a living testimony to the rulers of darkness that the gospel is far-reaching and that in Christ, God has a people as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore, and it's extremely diverse. The church is a living testimony to that reality. So the church is the announcement just by our very nature, we're the announcement to these rulers and authorities in heavenly places saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ is far-reaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ washes us clean. The accuser can't come and say, man, your, your cultural background, your socioeconomic status doesn't quite qualify you to be a part of the body of Christ. Right? Or the accuser comes and says, man, those sins that you committed that I'm very well aware of, those disqualify you from being a part of the body of Christ. Right? The church, just her very existence, dismantles those accusations. And so we certainly need to operate as a local church on that basis with each other, knowing that we're a testimony that the gospel is far-reaching to people from every culture and people from every sin. Amen? Next, the mystery. Okay, so we said the church is the announcement to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Next, if you're taking notes, the mystery was made known, or you can write next to made known, concluded in Christ Jesus. The mystery was made known, concluded in Christ Jesus. This mystery, again, that, that God's people is made up from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation based on God alone, not anything that we can do, Right? But it's the, this outworking of, of God's age-old plan um, is that, that mystery is concluded in Christ Jesus. And we see in verse 9 here, to bring to light, Paul brings to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. Right? Our, our triune God's redemptive plan, it's not a reaction or, or a response to what he notices is going on in the world. Okay, God's redemptive plan, our triune God's redemptive plan, isn't a reaction or response to what he notices going on in the world. Right? God's uh, redemptive plan is the outworking of his secret eternal decree from before time began. Right? Our, our God isn't emotionally reacting to things that have caught him off guard. Our God is steady, he's calculated, he's precise, he's unchanging, he's all-powerful, he's good, and get this, and he's for us. He's for us. Right? All throughout the Old Testament, we're given reminders, and, and, and we see God's covenant with his people, what theologians call the, the covenant of grace. It, it was promised in the Old Testament and, and as the Old Testament moves along, anticipating the New Testament, we get clearer and clearer glimpses of this, this covenant that God made that he, he said that he himself would keep, 
right? And we see it accomplish what's new about the new covenant, what's new about the New Testament is this covenant of grace that was promised in the Old Testament that was decreed before the world was even made was accomplished in the New Testament, was concluded in the New Testament in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Christ's sacrifice was a conclusion of what God planned to do in eternity past and told us about all throughout the Old Testament as we moved to the New Testament. And so this eternal purpose of God, verse 11, was realized in Christ Jesus, concluded in Christ Jesus, brought to the surface in Christ Jesus, made clear in Christ Jesus that God's plan of redemption, his covenant of grace included people from all types of backgrounds and that he alone was both the initiator of that covenant and the executor of that covenant. And because of that, we can have confidence that we stand on solid rock. We stand on an unshakable foundation. Our salvation is secure because it's based solely on God's good, unchanging character. So this eternal purpose this covenant of grace this, this, um, that, that included both Jews and Gentiles was realized, concluded, made known in Christ Jesus. Okay? And because of that, verses 12 through 13, and we'll spend some more time on, on this next week because it sets up the prayer that the Apostle Paul was getting to. Because of that, we have access to God. We have access to God. Right? Verse 12, in whom we have boldness, and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Right? Paul brings the, the purpose of his imprisonment back to the forefront. Right? He started this chapter with I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, and then he concludes this section here, if you're looking in your Bibles, with bringing, back, um, bringing his imprisonment back to the forefront here. His ministry of, of suffering is so that all types of people may have access to God in Christ. Right? No matter where you're from or what you've done, according to verses 12 and 13, you can have boldness and access to God with confidence because God is well pleased with his son, Jesus Christ. So to be in Christ, right, to be a Christian, is to serve a God who's, who, who is well pleased not with your actions, but with the eternal paid in full actions of Christ Jesus, right? In Christ, people from all over have access to God. So, so the church acknowledges, we come and acknowledge this morning and revel in the truth that we're one, a dependent people. We are a dependent people. Two, we're a, a culturally diverse people and uh, uh, we're diverse even in our sins that we bring. Right? So we're, we're diverse culturally and we're diverse in our many sins that we bring to the foot of the cross. We acknowledge the truth that we're a testimony to the far-reaching nature of the gospel. And we acknowledge and revel in the truth that we're a people who have access to God because Christ gained it for us. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this time for us to open it, Lord, and to revel in the glories of your gospel. And God, as we preach the last couple of weeks, Lord, we were talking about diversity in the body of Christ, Lord, and, and our nation, Lord, is, is extremely divided. 
God, I, I think of what's even transpired over the last couple of days, Lord, and, and events that have happened even flowing from that, God. And, and Lord, it's evident to see that only the peace of Christ can tear down, again, the dividing wall of hostility in our country, Lord. And so, God, I pray that as a church, we would be a people of peace, that we would speak peacefully, and that we would point people to the peacemaker. God, so that your kingdom will be built, your local church would grow, and God, we can continue to be this testimony to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, Lord, that cause divides like the ones we're experiencing now. God, we pray that the church can be a testimony and remind those rulers and authorities that a world doesn't stay the same that's had a man who died and came back to life. Lord, we live in a world where Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. And because of that, this world cannot stay the same. It cannot stay the same. So help us to stand on that. Help us to declare that. Help us to live in that manner. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we are going to go out singing a verse and a chorus. We're going to sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And thank you so much for being here. Um, it was really good to be able to worship with you. And, um, and I would love for you guys to be able to fellowship with each other.